Oh, thank you for that. Well, uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'm quite excited about this, not because it's the last time I'm going to speak, but because uh, everything went wrong <laughs> while I was preparing for this uh, preach. So that generally is a good indication that God has something to bring. <laughs> um, literally, I was in and my Microsoft Office wasn't working, so I couldn't edit all my files, and then I tried to do it another way, and that wasn't working. I was like, well, I'll just print it out, and we'll go old-fashioned, and then I couldn't find the printer cable, because we just moved, so it's in a box away from the printer, and that didn't work. And then I tried to put it in my notes so I can have it on my iPad, and then I lost all my formatting, <laughs> all my highlights, all my underlines, all everything. And in 15 minutes to get everybody ready. And I'm there like trying to remember all the points I'd written down that I've now lost. And I was just like, it's going to be good. So, <laughs> so um, Vicky spoke this morning about the corridor of opportunities. And I'm going to be following on from that because I'm going to be speaking about waiting well. And... She was talking about how you get to the stage of the door of good, bad, and the other. And a lot of the times, God wants us to take the other door, but we don't want to take the other door because we don't know what's behind the other door. And she was encouraging us to make that step of faith and go out the other door because that's what God has for us a lot of the time. Now, that's great. And I'm going to be following on from that by saying, other door, it's not even instant that you see why God wanted you to walk through the other door. So there's the initial step of faith to go through that other door, but then you need an extra level of faith to be in that door and wait for what God has for you in that door, because it very rarely comes instantly. So I'll pray and then we'll get into this. Another chance to be in your house, God, and to be safe in your house. I'm, I'm reminded of just the people in Sri Lanka last week that gathered to, to worship you and they, they died in church. But Lord, we're here and we're safe and, and we, can, we can talk about you and, and we're free to worship you, God. So I thank you for that privilege and I pray for every heart here and every heart that's going to hear this later on in a pod in them to wait well in Jesus name so no one likes to wait so by profession I'm a pharmacist and it always makes me laugh because how many of you have been to the doctors and your appointment is at 3.30 and you get to the waiting room and 3.30 comes and goes 3.40 3.45 3.50, and they find all that. But because you need to see the doctor, you wait, you get what you need, you get your prescription, and then you come and see me in the pharmacy. And the first thing that I get when people walk in the pharmacy doors is, how long is it going to be? <laughs> you just need to stick a label on the box, and I'm just like, no, I need to make sure I don't kill you. <laughs> but it always surprises me because people are happy to wait for something that they think is important. So wait, we are in this instant culture where you can just pick up your phone, do a quick Google search, and it's there. 
I remember growing up when we used to go on long journeys, my job in the car was to read the A to Z. And if you're a bit younger in here, you might not know if you know what that is anymore. <laughs> and I'm not even that old. But it was a book, and yeah. every road was in that yeah, book. Right. And I'd sit in the middle. My dad would turn around and hand me the 80s. You'd go to the back, look at the coordinates, <laughs> find it on the page, yeah, and you'd be like, okay, right, turn left there, turn left there, right. And my dad, and woe to me. <laughs> If I did not give my dad <laughs> the right left turn or I gave it to him late. <laughs> but now we have sat-navs, we have everything at our disposal. Microwave food, whatever we need, we can get it instantly. So we don't like to wait yeah. to our, our relationships with God because a lot of the times God is trying to do a process in us and we just want it now because we know how to get everything else instantly and we try to put God in our culture instead of saying, God, I'm going to make you my culture. So we're trying to take God and say, God, the world is instant, so I want you to be instant. And God is just like, no, but I need you to wait because there's something I need right and a wrong way to wait. And that's what I'm going to speak about today because there's always a process. And the process is more to do with us than the promise. The promise is nothing without the process. And I like to think of the promise being fulfilled like a fruit on an apple tree. And we always desire the apple, or whatever your favorite fruit is, the lemon or the, lemon's a bad choice, or the strawberry. But what's most important is the condition of the tree. If not, the fruit is never going to be good. And while we're waiting for our promise, God is more concerned about making sure that us as a tree is in the right and the perfect condition so that the fruit or the promise is exactly how it should be. Because if we don't wait well, we can actually miss the promise entirely. And that sounds harsh, but that's what's in the Bible. And I'm going to read 1 Samuel um, chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 13, verse 7 to 14, just to expand on this a bit more. So there's a king in the Bible, and his name is Saul, and he's going to war. Now, what's supposed to happen in Samuel is supposed to come and pray before they go to war, and just pray over everybody so that the war will be, war will be victorious. And Samuel said, wait for me, I'm coming. Don't go to war until I come, because it's my job to offer these prayers before you go. So we pick up this story in verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilfear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Then Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. They were rapidly growing more and more anxious. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Saul waited. Samuel didn't come. Everyone was getting more fearful. Everyone was getting more anxious. And he was just like, got to do it. Can't wait anymore. So Saul took it upon himself to graduate himself 
from the waiting process instead of waiting for God. It was the priest's job to do that sacrifice, not Saul's. Then verse 10 says, Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, Why have you done this? What is this you have done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said to myself, the Philistines are ready to march against us, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. If Saul would have waited just a little bit longer, if Saul wouldn't have given in to the pressure and the anxiety of his situation, of his men, of everybody being fearful around him, of the environment, if he would have waited, it would have been better. Saul's reason for jumping the gun was based on fear and anxiety. And you stop waiting well when you give in and you cave in to the fear and anxiety and the pressures that are around you instead of listening to the commandment of the Lord when he said, wait for me, I'm coming. Fear will make you do the seemingly right thing at the wrong time, which actually is the wrong thing. We need to wait for the commandments of the Lord. You was thinking the right thing because he thought, about to go to war, no one's prayed yet. I'll just take it upon myself to pray because Samuel's not here yet. As a Christian, it seems like, yeah, makes sense. Well, pastor's not here, so I'll just pray, right? But he knew that wasn't what the Lord had told him to do. He knew that wasn't the commandment of the Lord because God had so his quote-unquote right thinking was breaking God's plan. And if you carry on now to verse 13, how foolish, Samuel exclaimed, You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And listen to this. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Because he didn't wait. Because he didn't wait, he knew what God had said. He knew that it was the priest's job to do that. But he was surrounded by anxiety. He didn't wait well. He listened to the voices that were around him, and he didn't wait well, and he missed it. And that is why we have to wait well. When we walk through that other door... A lot of the times when we don't know what to do, we try and make and create our own way while we're there. Because we're just like, don't know what to do, got it, I'll make it up as I go along. And God is saying to us, yes, I see your faith, you step through this other door, but times your faith by two because now I want you to wait for what I want to do when you're in this door. So how do we wait well? 
I'm going to share the story of a man who did wait well, and this is Joseph. So now we're in Genesis 37, and I'm going to read, so don't lose me here. So I'm going to start in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. And Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brother was doing. So from a young age, Joseph seemed like a pretty responsible guy. A bit of a tattletale, but (laughs) from so hard. And verse 3 says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't even say a kind word to him. It was not that Jacob loved him more. That was the favor and the promise of God on Joseph's life from a young age. And a lot of the time, the favor of God on your life will attract an inexplicable fear and jealousy from man. And it is not your fault. It is just the favor of God on your life. People fear what they don't understand. Even if they can't put the word to it, that there's something different about you. And that's going to attract some attention. What's important is that you don't make that, that attention or that tension for yourself. So we carry on in verse 5. And one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Verse 6, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, my bundle stood up, and all of your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? They hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So let's just say this, right? Joseph had this dream. Joseph didn't say he was going to be king over them. It was them that knew that the dream was a confirmation of what they already felt in their heart, that he had something great, and they used that to turn into more animosity against him. Verse 9, and soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told it to his brothers. If I was there, I would say, Joseph, stop talking. (laughs) Listen, I've had 11 stars bowed low before me. Then verse 11 goes, But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Sometimes you don't always have to say something. Just hold it close to your heart. Ponder on it. And verse 12, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to, the, to pasture their flocks at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Joseph the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flock are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me your report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. Verse 18 goes on to say, 
When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached, and they made plans to kill him. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild man, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we will see what becomes of his dream. If you had a million pounds in your house, what would you care about? The house or the money? If you care about the money, I would say you've missed it. He's fine. Now, these people wanted to kill Joseph. Not because they hated Joseph, but they hated the promise and the dream and the favor of God that was on his life. And a lot of the times, some of the attacks and the things that you're facing, <laughs> it's not about you. It's because the favor and the promise and, and, and the grace of God that is on your life. And we can't take it personally all the time because we didn't choose our promise. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard of their schemes, Reuben's one of his brothers, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die without our laying hands on him. Because Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. When there's a promise eating, my dad says it like this, there will always be a Reuben. And Reuben's job was to rise up and say, we're not going to kill him. Let's just put him in this pit because I had another idea to come back and save him later. But the promise, God will guard that promise if we're waiting well. So, verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Is Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic raisin from Gilead to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will be gained by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who where Midian traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled them out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Verse 31, Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with his message, belong to your, This robe belonged to your son. And their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. The night traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Potiphar was the captain of the palace. So this is a long story of a guy who had two dreams. Yeah. And there was a promise on his life. Yeah. And there was opposition to that promise. So what happens next? 
So Joseph is then sold into slavery, the prime ministers in, in Egypt, or maybe a mayor more like. And Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. And Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do that. So Potiphar's wife makes up these lies, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. While he was in prison, a couple other people had some dreams, and he interpreted their dreams. And he said, all right, cool, well, don't forget me. You know, I helped you lot out. Help me out. (laughs) They forget him. And then... Other people have dreams, and he tells them their dreams, and he interprets their dreams. And finally, finally, about 20 to 25 years later, after he'd had these initial two dreams, and he told his brothers, the dreams come to pass, and the promise is fulfilled. 20 to 25 years later. And in worse, before it got better. 20 to 25 years later, he was in prison for at least 14 of those years. And I would say prison back then is a lot harsher than what it is now with all your Wi-Fi, you can do courses and all this other stuff. But Joseph waited well. And what does that look like? And you think, nah, it got bad. I don't want to wait like that. But he waited well. He was rejected by his family. He was plotted against. He was purposefully hurt. People spoke ill of him. They forgot him. He was unsupported by the people who should have supported him. But he waited well because he waited. Because he waited. And sometimes you don't have the answers and you can't figure it out, but you're still waiting. And I'm sure Joseph felt like this because inside he had these dreams. He had this dream and it was burning with him. And he was probably thinking, why am I in prison? But I know deep inside me there's these dreams that are, that are burning. Why am I still here? But he waited. What do I mean by he waited? I believe that even in the prison, Even with Potiphar's wife who who tried to get him to do the worst thing possible, he stood and said, no, because I know what I carry. I know the promise. I know the favor of God in my life, and I'm not going to compromise that for what you want me to do. So I'd rather be put back in prison than compromise the promise of God on my life. What does waiting well look like? Wherever you are, you still have something to do while on the way to, what, to where you're going. You still have something to do. There is still maximum impact for you to have where you are now, even though you're on your way to going where you're going. Waiting well looks like not being distracted by the potholes on the journey. And Joseph had a lot of them from his brothers with him along the journey. There was so much that happened, but he said, I'm focused on the journey. I'm focused on the promise. Waiting well looks like not responding to fear and anxiety and not knowing what's going on because you know the promise. We read about Saul in the beginning who was looking around and all his army was growing more and more fearful because missed it. 
I'm sure there were many times when Joseph knew his brothers hated him and he could see it in their eyes and the Bible says that they couldn't even speak a kind word to him and he knew but he didn't let that pressure turn him to being someone else so that he could fit who they wanted him to be. No, because he knew that he had a promise and he had a a vision for his life and he was not going to be swayed by the fear and they wanted him to be because he was like, I'm going to wait well. Waiting well looks like remembering that there's a reason why God doesn't tell us all the details of our journey. Because if God would have given Joseph the dream that, all right, cool, you're going to be this really, really amazing guy, everyone's going to bow down to you, but before that, your brothers are going to try and kill you, (laughs) they're going to throw you in a pit, your dad's going to lie about you, you're going to be in prison for 14 years, they're going to forget about you, Joseph would have been like, "Mm, I'm not too sure about that plan. There's a reason why God doesn't always give us the details. That's what waiting well looks like, remembering that. Waiting well looks like not taking all the attacks of the enemy on your life personally because you know that the enemy is like, if I can just stop, then everything that is in her will not happen. And everything that God wants her to accomplish won't be. So the enemy is after me, not because I'm something special, but because the promise of God that he spoke on my life is special. And waiting well puts you in the mindset of, it's a lot, but it's not about me. It's It's about what I carry. Waiting well that he has good plans for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And even though it doesn't seem like it at the minute, you know that God is not a liar. Waiting well looks like just keeping on going, one day at a time. A lot of us in Joseph's position would have been like, okay, I had these dreams, I told my brothers, I almost died because of it. So when he was in prison and all these other people, a lot of our natural response would have been like, I'm not messing with this dream thing anymore (laughs) because it always got me killed. So you can keep your dreams to yourself. Thank you very much. But Joseph knew that he had a gift, which is part of the promise. So he did not take the stance of, I'm not going to serve people anymore because the last time I served people, it almost got me killed. He said, I'm still going to serve because that's what God has put inside me. Go in. Waiting well is an active process. And I'm going to read this in closing. And this is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 to 31. It says... Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Let's just pause there. God created all the stars. He brings them out one by one. He knows the name of every single star. Not a single one is missing. This is the God that we serve. 
How can you say that the Lord doesn't see your troubles while you're waiting? How can you say that? This is the God who knows every single star by name. This is the God that knows every single hair on my head. How can we think? How can we say that he doesn't know our troubles even in that waiting period? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God has didn't... We can't think that God, does, God doesn't know and God doesn't understand where we are when we're, waiting, when we're waiting. Verse 28, have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is, an, is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He never grows weak. We do while we're waiting. I'm waiting, I've got another two and a half months <laughs> before this baby comes out, and I'm growing weak and weary, <laughs> but God doesn't. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And here's, here's the good news, we're going to get to it right now. Verse 29, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, another version says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Here's the thing, right? A lot of us think of waiting as, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And you stood there waiting. Waiting well is an active process. Verse 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. Why do you need strength if you're not doing anything? That's to show you that waiting is to be, you wouldn't need strength if you didn't have something to do while you were waiting for the Lord. It says, they will soar high on wings like eagles. That is movement. Waiting is active. You're moving while you're waiting. It says, they will run and not grow weary. If waiting was just passive, you won't need to be running. It says they will walk and not faint. That means that while you're waiting, you're going to have to keep going. You're going to have to keep running. You're going to have to keep walking. You're going to have to keep soaring on wings like eagles because waiting well is being active. You are actively committing that promise to God and saying, God, I'm keeping my eyes focused on the promise and I have to keep going. If you wait on the Lord, he gives you strength because you have to keep going. Process of the growth and the change that God wants to do in your life. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're sitting and you're waiting, you're doing it wrong. Because God wants you to actively wait on him. Be looking into your environment and say, okay, God, I'm waiting. But what do you want me to do here now while I'm waiting? 
And even if you're in the prison or you're in the pit while you're waiting to serve and look for the opportunity to be active in your waiting because those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And you only need strength if you've got something to do. And that also tells me that waiting is hard, so you need strength. But God said you will soar through everything that comes your way through that waiting period, you will soar above it because you are waiting on the Lord. Through it because you are waiting on the Lord. The Bible tells me that I will walk and I will not grow faint because I'm waiting on the Lord. Wait well for the Lord. Wait for the Lord because what He has in His time is better than any mess I could create right now and then have to go to God and say, God, I messed up. Will you fix? But don't just sit there because he wants to give you strength. He wants to renew your strength. He wants to cause you to rise and soar and run and walk if you wait well. And it may be six months, it may be 25 years like Joseph, but wait on the Lord. Make that step of faith. Walk through that other door on the Lord.